Hello, what's up? What's up, everyone? Welcome to the season five finale. Oh my gosh, of the one inch barrier. Oh, season five. Anyway, um, my gosh, time flies by fast, especially when you're stuck at home. Anyway, I am your host, Juan Carlos Ohano, and I hope you're all staying safe and staying healthy. Um, hmm. Again, this is the season five finale. And quick reminder that all bonus episodes are now available on Patreon. Again, this season we covered the 2018 nominees for foreign language film um, alongside Roma. We reviewed all of those. Um, those episodes are available in full on Patreon, and I would really appreciate your support. Thank you guys so much. All right, so season five finale, we are going to talk about in this episode the film that won Best Foreign Language Film at the 43rd Academy Awards. That film is Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion, or in its original language, Indagine su un cittadino del di sopra di ogni sospetto, co-written and directed by Elio Petri. So this was Italy's fifth win and 12th nomination. So for a quick summary, it's about a police officer who kills his mistress um his mistress who the both of them kind of like role playing different ways on how to murder her that's their thing but then one time he does it for real and then he begins uh, heading the investigation of the said murder and trying to see if the police will be able to realize that he's actually the one that they are chasing after for the murder of that woman. Um, that's a quick summary of Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion. So our guest for this episode is from the Philippines. She's a writer, researcher, and multimedia reporter. Wow. So I am so happy to have her here. Please welcome Bronte Laksamana. Hi, Bronte. Thank you so much for joining me in this finale. Hello. Hi. <laughs> wow. All right. So I'm so, I'm so happy that to say. I'm so happy that you were able to join me here because uh um you know I th- you know we're both in our film organization we at one point in time we were both like in the education and research committee. Yeah. So we're both smart. Whoa. <laughs> we're yes, both- <laughs> claiming it. <laughs> so I am excited. You know, every time there is someone who I knew from film school coming in, I'm excited because we talk about films before casually. Uh, you know, in film school or like having dinner, we're just randomly talking about films and and love and films again. Uh, <laughs> but um, I think post film school world is really tough. And sometimes we forget to talk about films. So I always take this opportunity to always talk to my friends in film school to be like, hey, you want to talk about films? And they would be like, yeah, sure. I haven't thought about films for years. I'm like, okay, sure. Hi, how are you? So <laughs> can you tell our listeners where can they find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at um, Bron Salamanca, and Letterboxd at ACE Bron. All right, there you go. So, um, Bron, um, 
this film, I <laughs> when I invited you, like just like invited, I do want to be in this episode, like sure. Um, so investigation of a citizen above suspicion. It's your first time. It's also my yeah. first time. So we're both coming in with initial thoughts. Um, what do you think of this film? Um, I liked it a lot. <laughs> um, from the moment it opened with that odd quirky <laughs> score yeah <laughs> with the boing sound yes. like i knew i was in for a ride and i've actually read a few opinions about the film afterwards i'm the kind of person who likes to read what other people think and there's mixed opinions on that but i think it's it gives character to the film and Speaking of character, it's also the main character, the performance that really defines the film. So yeah, those are my initial thoughts. I, I think it really made an impact, which is which was its objective, because it's the style of the film is all about excess, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? I, it's so funny that the first thing you mentioned was the score. Yeah, <laughs> because that's also my first note, right? It catches you off guard because the the title itself can be it's 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 literally long, but it already sets us up for uh, I don't know um something dark and uh, and crimey, mm. mm, <laughs> murdery, and serious. Yeah. yeah, but then when you hear that score from the the legend Ennio Morricone. It immediately throws mm. my expectation off balance. Like, wait, what, what? So I'm not immediately like, first five minutes. Like, I'm not sure where this is going. <gasps> so you, I had the film grabbed me there by upsetting my expectations, and then continuing to do that. Um, it's it's very well crafted uh, in terms of our writing level, in terms of a filmmaking level. Um, it's. Anyway, I'm trying to think about it because I really enjoyed my time with it despite mm. its darkness. And actually, it's more serious, troubling undertones on what it says about what it says about. Um, because the film also embraces this off-kilter humor, this uh, dark satire it's 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 really tricky how you do that because um i don't know how do you feel about that that it chooses to use dark humor to tackle this story well i think it like i said it's it's all about excess this film so as a political satire it really goes for for funny that's morbid in a way so if you you laugh at the scene it's morbidly funny because it's real societal stuff that it's depicting here. And the way it toasts that line, I think it's risky and it does it very well. Yeah, that, that word, morbid, um, why did it escape <laughs> me? Because there were many times in the film when I was like laughing and I'm like, what does it say about me? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> right. I'm a good person. I try to be a good person. Um, because 
that first scene, you know, when um, the police, the the inspector met mm. his mistress and uh, he was like, how are you going to kill me this time? Or I think something like that. So mm. like, oh, that they have that dynamic. Okay. It's um, role playing is very much a part of their sexual life. And then I was laughing and I'd be like, you know, when they're when they're really having sex, okay, this is they're having a good time, good for them. I'm jealous. Okay. Um, <laughs> but then the murder happens like, wait, is that is that mm. oh my gosh. And then it turns out it's an actual murder. And then what we actually yeah. see afterwards is how he the police I don't believe there's a name. Was there a name? I think there was a name. What wasn't there? <laughs> What's the name of the police inspector? Um, the, no, it wasn't given a name. No, I don't know. If, no, I'm, no I'm bad. I didn't ask about it. The um, actor is Jan Maria Volonte. Yeah, that's, that's what I remember. Yeah, but the police, uh, his name, I don't know. Anyway, when he starts to, uh, I don't know if it's right, to game the system, hmm. and he's trying to see if his colleagues would pick up and actually do their job right when the murderer <laughs> is right in front of them. It's yep. very entertaining, but it's also very disturbing. And I love what you said. It's very risky because the film risks the possibility of people perceiving that it's minimizing the crime or minimizing the rottenness of their system. But the film is so sharp because the humor, instead of diminishing that, it actually heightens or highlights why the system is so messed up in the first place. It's, it's using comedy, it's using humor to strengthen its point, not to diminish it. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And I think um, how it adds a layer to that is through the texture of the environment, what else is happening around them, which is, you know, the, the protests, the subversion. It's, it's like a subplot, actually. The police and their efforts to stamp out these cases of subversion in society. I think that added texture to the whole murder plot, the main murder plot. Exactly, and also that, um, like I said, the dismissiveness of that investigation, mm. it it goes both ways. It's it's a dramatic tension, but it also supports the comedy because yeah. we see how how stupid the investigation went. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> And it, that's what it, the film is a knowing farce on the justice system. It's It embraces its twisted setup. And, you know, some one might say that, um, that that's too far-fetched, you know, what happens. But I think it is grounded enough for us to see, to buy into the premise. Because the premise yeah. is high wire. True. True, but the, I, I can also see how people would 
would think it lacks subtlety. Yeah. Because it's very it's very on the nose about the political satire. And at some points it's it's kind of, yeah, we get it. We get it that this is going on. It's crazy. It's insane that this is happening. And it keeps driving home that point in every scene. Which I love. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm not the mm. person for subtlety. Whoa. Um, <laughs> or I, I don't know. Um, more on that it, when we talk about the other films for this year. But mm, yeah, I it was sort because to our listeners, I don't know if I've said this before. I usually watch the winner last. Um, I know some of my previous guests watched the winner first. I watched the winner last because I want everything to come in first and then, you know, see the winner as what it is. It's just me. Mm. I'm weird. Um, but, I watched it in the yeah. middle. In the middle. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I've done that middle thing also in some of the winners this decade because of scheduling purposes. But usually I try to bring it last. Um, mm, okay. The film is formalistically very aggressive it is yeah yeah i I don't know how maybe it's the score maybe it's the editing maybe it's it's everything it's everything how (laughs) how do how how the how the mise-en-scene really puts the the joker basically the joker of this film Mm. Right in center of the frame, screaming, not for not not at, at, yeah. the, at the corners. It's really front and center, and then how um, high contrast, the writing sharp and direct and funny, and um, the score by Enya Morricone. It's like trolling us at a certain point. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's. Vi- I just felt it like, and I see why people would. There are some viewers who would look for subtlety, but like I sometimes it clicks with me when a film that is about it says something about the justice system because the justice system is really rotten. Anyway, true. um That's true. on how aggressive it gets. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I'm sorry. I, I maybe it's just me being aggressive as a person. Well, <laughs> I enjoyed it too. I enjoyed it too. Like if you want, we can talk about a particular scene that I have in my notes. Which one? <laughs> the the speech the, the oh my most gosh. aggressive speech like he he literally yells out um repression is our only vaccine oh and my it's, gosh it's, <laughs> oh my gosh i don't know if he was talking about it's Italy loud or the Philippines. it's wow. bold yeah man i mean it can apply it even 50 years after its release it it still has a bite. <laughs> it applies specifically in 2020 to 2021. Repression <laughs> is our vaccine. Oh my gosh. <laughs> when the Philippines is struggling with vaccines, repression well. is... Our, but please do go on with that scene about the, um his um meeting with the police force, which yeah. kind of feels like a press con also. Yeah, I think it's because he just became the chief of the department, mm-hmm. the political department, I think. Yeah. And that was like his first speech or something. That scene was um powerful. It's very powerful mm. because um 
even the framing is he's at the center of the camera mm. and never really lets go. Um, when it lets go, we see the people in the room looking up to him. Not, I mean, not physically because they're on <laughs> eye level, but the way the camera captures them. Because when we see the, this is me going like a little bit uh, uh, nitpicky on the camera, not very specific on how. Go it ahead. Shows. Um, <laughs> When we see the people listening, it's like uh, the camera's a little bit up. Mm. But when we watch him, we're seeing him from down, looking up. From down, yeah. yeah. So he looks more powerful. Yeah. yeah. And I think he really speaks for where the police force stands, the justice system stands. And this is, mm. I think, unfortunately, um, my chair is really noisy. Um, I... I cannot. I'm not sure until when was um, because there's also the subtext of them dealing with the people, the the, the pro fascists and the anti fascists at the time. Yeah, I think yeah. it kind of calls back to the fascist movement, uh, fascist uh, regime of Italy, because of how it really utilizes repression as its form of governance and control. Exactly, and the fact that the main character is is like a. Uh charismatic super charismatic and all these fascist regimes usually have charismatic leaders you know yeah uh, usually uh, fascist leaders are charismatic mm. uh, we we didn't get that uh, anyway our, <laughs> our our leader was anyway uh, <laughs> um so that's that goes to show like there isn't really a rule of law that they believe in. They really mm. believe in force. And the police inspector uses that. And I don't know actually where he stands. Because he was trying to prove if he could get away with it. Mm. I wasn't sure. Was it him proving to himself that it, the system's not working? Or is he trying to make the people in the system realize, realize that it. it's not working? Yeah. I'm not sure where he stands because he is also a character of um, gray morals. Um, but that's what I also love about this film. The, the person mm. we follow, it doesn't... Because if we're going to be shallow, he's not likable. He is even grating to a point. He can be really pushy. And so, possess such braggadocio and like, I'm getting away with it. But mm. his presence also becomes the pointed critique towards the system. Like, hey, I'm a living proof that the system's not working. And he knows mm. it. And he, I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm not sure also what was his point. Which makes it even more exciting because I don't know what's his point. Yeah, I think it's intentional that ambiguity. <laughs> yeah, it, it and that makes the film even better. I think. Yeah, it is because until the end, like we, we we are not really sure because we follow him the whole time. We we're also not sure um, where this person even stands. <laughs> Um, mm. I am really fascinated, you know, and, and also the trying to 
silence dissent, which is another key of fascism here. Um, oh my gosh, this is 1970. Like this, this could have been made now, and it would be like, you know, I think the way it handles the the because there, you know, when this is this film gets accused of being on the nose, I think there are films like this. Maybe made now where they're addressing real social issues and they're being tired yeah. as being um, at best going too hard on it too, too hard and at worst on the nose preachy but you know it is what it is and the film owns it you know it's not half-hearted it really it's I don't know what's the right word it's not something you watch I mean it's fun to watch at times it's sick and it's fun but it's also not something you watch passively because it intentionally calls your attention. It's abrasive. It's not comfortable to watch. Um, even the camera movement is... The cinematography is so... Yeah. It's um, out there. <laughs> it's out, It's so kinetic. You know, it's so out there. Like you said. Um, whether by it, how it uses lights and shadows. Or how the movements are just so um, moving. <laughs> <laughs> full of motion full of motion but Moving it pictures. yes the, sure the energy is just you, it's palpable the energy of this film yeah. and how it attacks the system that it portrays gosh it's uh i i didn't expect it because i was thinking some slow burning i don't know investigation yeah of a citizen above suspicion and then it becomes this a highly kinetic satire farce on yeah how these people just don't get it. It's right there <laughs> in front of them all the time and they don't get it. So this rule of law bullshit, this mm-hmm. investigation bullshit, it's full of shit. <laughs> it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not usually with murder mysteries, right? The question is, who did it? But with this one, it's when will they find out? Will they will they get on his trail? And the way it's told, like you said, it's very kinetic. It's not as it's not as slow burn as a traditional murder mystery. And that's that's what gives it so much energy. Yeah. It 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 immediately it immediately throws that question like who did it? It's it's taken care of it, like first ten minutes, five, yeah. six, seven. Uh, it's not even know, a spoiler. First five minutes, five. Yeah. Because I remember the first six minutes, no dialogue. Mm. We're just really observing everything that he does, and he even plants evidence. I'm I'm really like hitting my table now <laughs> and like eagerness to discuss this, and I'm sweating like. I'm getting aggressive as well. Oh my gosh. Mm. Um, he even plants the evidence. Several. And he's looking the investigators in the eye. He's giving <laughs> yeah. them everything. And they're either unintentionally or just intentionally shaking it off. Like, no, of course it's not you. No, and we yeah. found your fingerprint. But, you know, mm, it's fine. And like... We found your necktie. No, no, no. It's not you, of course. It's someone else. It's right there. And how inutile the system is mm. because of how, like, it's right there. And 
the film really just punches it, punches its point every time. Like even, you know, with um, that murder scene also, it's just so carefully crafted because I think we have to understand the nitty gritty of that scene because that's what, that's what establishes everything, you know, the murder. Mm. So that once he goes out there and the film goes out there, in its tackling of how to investigate, we are not even like doubting anymore, like who did it? Because we've seen everything. Yeah. We see him, well, framing, not really, slash her wrist, him wiping off. It's not spoiler, it's five minutes in, don't worry. Um, so, um, I'm sorry, listeners, I'm not, I'm just being aggressive because of the film. <laughs> so, um, so we see that, and like you said, the chase now is at first, when will mm. they figure out? Will they? Will, will they? they even? But the ending, which that I won't say, is mm. even more twisted because it's like, will they ever come face to face? It's, take it away. Yeah, exactly. And and you can even sense throughout the film the growing desperation from the main character that he really wants to get discovered, but he just isn't <laughs> after so many tries. And you mentioned already the, the police force and their inadequacies in trying to find out who did it. But also the common man uh, with the character of the plumber uh, there's a time when he discovers that it's the inspector, but then he willingly, willingly denies it and chooses to forget it because that's the effect of people afraid of power. I like that they included that aspect as well. So it's not just the the state power and you know the forces of authority who prevent justice but also how it affected common people and their mindset that if it's someone powerful then justice is out of the window yeah exactly and how he knows it he mm. knows he was the murderer but yet due to um subtle intimidation yeah he even doubts his own. Like, it's not you, sir. I'm so sorry. And like, it goes mm. to show like how much power can twist how people deal with truth. Again, it goes, it go, it goes back to the justice system of you know how rotten it is. But it's not even anymore within the yeah. police force that shows that they're unwilling. Um, to look at the truth. But in this one, a commoner, commoner, royalty, um, a common citizen actually starts disbelieving the truth that he knows because he's looking right into the eye of someone powerful and power makes him doubt the truth. Yeah. And, um... I don't know. And the film, I remember that scene, you know, when he goes to the police station because he tells 
the plumber, go to the police station, report me. Mm. And then when he was reported and looking him in the eye and the camera is so uncomfortably close to their faces. They don't, they don't even show the whole face. It's really... Uh, yeah. uh, Extreme close-up. Yeah. Forehead to bottom of the lip. Yeah. How close. And we're also there like looking them in the face and the eye. And we're like, we're seeing unfold in the faces of these characters in real time how again he gets away with it. And... Mm. It's not even fun anymore. It's uh it's distressing. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that is just the the upsetting part of it. And you know that I don't know, I think we've seen that way too many times. Unfortunately. True. Um we see people um like whistleblowers um who go up and um to take a stand and then after a few weeks, they retract their statement. And mm. us, we already know, like, okay, something happened. You know, we don't have to word it out. We don't have to go on the record to say it. But you know what happened? And that is an extreme depiction of it. Um, I also want to pivot and say that I am also, um, uh, I really liked how it depicted the interrogations because it raises the tension in ways that aren't necessarily the ones that we have in the playbook, the the very dark um, interrogation rooms, dark rooms, and then tense music, and then like it's it's more psychological than this one. I mean, interrogations are yeah. inherently psychological, but on how messed up it but it's different it's it, it's really different and again it's a striking example of like how the film kind of plays up and differs from the other mystery films mm. that we have seen before yeah in this one i think the the point of it is not to um to make tension or or to to drive up the the stress level of the viewer but it's more of to represent the power dynamics. Yeah. So, yeah, the interrogation scenes were very gripping for me. Yeah, exactly. Because we, you know, with the with the other, with the other, uh, I know, with the other characters, we 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 know they're not gonna get it. But mm-hmm. I am tense whenever the inspector does the interrogation because I he's such an unpredictable character I, I will never know what he's up to and I think it's a testament not only to the filmmaking but the actor uh, Volante, who yeah. does it so well that um, opaque quality of the person mm. because we never really know what's inside in, in his head but it's not muddy it's like we just don't know what's happening. It's not that he doesn't know what he's doing. It's mm. it's a really intriguing approach to that character and how he tackles the morally questionable things he do to prove his point. Like, you know, he does he have to murder the his mistress to prove a point? And he even insinuates um attack towards the is it the gay husband? 
gay husband. Yeah. 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 Uh, with the with the character, I think. Well, he's not that fleshed out. So yeah. you don't know his motivations, and th- that does add to his character. But it's it becomes clear that he's like a mouthpiece for this sociopathic, like representation of the power structures in play. So not just in the interrogation scene, even with the scenes with the woman that he murdered. Actually, in all of the scenes, there are different different ways of him in power and in all of them he plays them all to perfection it's consistent this i would you say caricature of him because you know it's a political satire and there's a risk of painting a caricature of this kind of person to drive home the point but he does it so well so i don't know if i can fault the film or it's just very entertaining and gripping to watch. So I can't, I can't say anything negative about it. It's a great performance. Yeah, and you know, like I said, being a caricature in 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 a, in a film that has this tone, it could mm. have easily done that, and you know, it would still probably get the point across. But the film and the actor goes beyond that and really tries to show like there is an internal journey for the character and how he ends up in this point. It's something that we might not fully comprehend, but the journey is there and we just embrace it and follow that character. It's uh it's really you know, it's it's like an disturbing. Um I don't even know if it would be like considered uh an anti hero. Would you consider him an anti hero? Mm-hmm. I I I don't think so. It's it's he's too ambiguous to be label. No labels. No la- <laughs> No labels, please. My gosh, no labels. Um. Anyway. Uh, also. Oh, I do want to. Um. Wh- I want to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, this. Um. The aspect of. Um. Him and his mistress. And uh, we only mm. see the mistress uh, in flashbacks, except for the time we were, she was murdered. <laughs> I'm not laughing that she was murdered. Um. Mm-hmm. What do you think of how the film chooses to depict that relationship, that character? Because it's the gray areas of this film started way back before the murder. The way they they try to... Their sexual game is to pretend she's a Mm. criminal and like worthy of being tortured or worst case scenario being killed and you know she's even urging him to be like you're so powerful just run the yeah. red light you know the, the <laughs> evasion of um evading the following the uh, following the law uh, what and but you know she's she go she never really goes beyond a mental image mm. I, I, I don't know what can you say about or maybe I'm wrong well, I think, I think to the woman, I mean, her character is is basically like a sexual libertine. Like she doesn't wear underwear, uh, she sleeps around. That's her image. She's kind of a hippie, and this whole game she's playing with 
the inspector is just a game to her. Because, you know, this was all incited. The murder was incited because she wanted to break up with him. So that that's an interesting journey, I think. Because at first, it's like, this is a an effed up game between them. Like, why would they do this? And then she's just some weird effed up girl as well. But then when she decides, no, you're just a, a man-child who's overcompensating for things, you know, abusing power and tries to break up. That's when, that's when his whole, you know, the whole main plot of this film begins and then he murders her. So that was an interesting, those flashbacks revealing that journey. I think that was very interesting as well. Yeah, I was, um, I was really interested in how it would handle that because their relationship is defined by sex and murder. Mm. Whether theoretically or not. I mean, the sex is real. The murder was theoretical until it wasn't. Um, <laughs> it's... I think it's very tricky. And the film... At some point is guilty of... Um, not making an effort to flesh out more humanity in the female character because she's really more of an image, more of a... Because we see the film in his perspective, so... Yeah. But anyway, yeah. And um, the the actress was uh, Florinda Bolkan. She's a wonderful actress. I've seen her in a, in a brief vacation. She's a wonderful actress. But uh, I don't know. I think it's one of the only weaknesses of the film that I could probably say, but it's not really something that... Um, it's like a fatal flaw because I kind of understand but I sometimes just wish if I'm trying to think of like what would be the result if we saw her beyond this mm. Beyond, I mean I'm not asking for her scene, individual scenes because that's not going to be in alignment with the perspective of the film and the film really thrives in the cohesion of the perspective that it has it, we're really following this nasty morally ambiguous person but I don't know to have she's she she she, she's more like a symbol here Mm. uh yeah well I still think her her role was very pivotal yeah you know I, I really like the scene revealing how she broke up with him because that that gave her that elevated her character I think beyond just the sexual symbol and you know it showed that she actually she actually knew what was with the inspector like she understood him in a way but you know that became her downfall she eventually got killed because of his fragile ego so yeah, I think I think it's it's difficult to expect a, a better role for a woman in this kind of film. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I, I do I agree that I think the Florinda Volcan did her best to Yeah. Um to not make her a prop. Mm. Because When you have a film which 
whose structure is starting with her death, her murder, and she only gets to have a, f- a few flashback scenes to see how it led how it led to that. She embraces that twisted but very passionate relationship that yeah. her character has with Inspector. And it's vital for us to understand that how they even reach this point of like, this is the game they're playing. I mean, I couples do role play for, you know, for fun. Mm. How how was even murder part of the equation? How was crime a turn on for that? Turn on <laughs> for them. So for us to see Oh, you know, that energy, that reckless energy that she has and that that almost like intoxicating quality of their relationship, which is destructive, well, really destroyed her life. Um, it's really vivid. Mm. And it's, um, I don't think it's something that you can shake off in because her murder really mattered. Like I said, it's yeah. it's the beginning of the film. It has to matter. I think she was able to make it matter in the small time that she had. Um, I do love the scene when there was a bomb. I think it's one of those like demonstration of the film's energy. Um, hmm. I do want to go to the ending. Um, okay. Because he, the inspector gathers the people his co-workers spoilers yeah <laughs> um, spoiler alert we're full spoiler here anyway um he gathers his co-workers and actually reveals the truth but his co-workers don't believe him mm. and then something happens again how do you feel about this ending? I honestly, I was laughing <laughs> at this ending because it was, it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous ending and it's morbidly funny. Like I've described, I've described this film as that. This, this ending is same. It's morbidly, it's weird. Like you have this guy Throughout the film, he's this image of charisma and power, slicked back hair, and his immaculate suit. And then in the ending, it's like he takes on a different energy of desperation in the face of seeing that no one's going to believe him. No one's going to. Is Are they ever going to accept the truth? And then it's like he went insane. And... Yeah, it was it's crazy. I honestly don't know what to think of it. It's but it's a great way to end the film, I would say. Yeah, it's a uh, it's so twisted. Um because even he is not even believed anymore. Mm. And that's how rotten the system is and also a manifestation of how far he went yeah <laughs> that um 
he just wasn't even believed anymore. Um, and you know, there is this thing that happens in the end, which I think is, um, <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's kind of brilliant ish. <laughs> I can't full on say it's brilliant because it makes us anticipate what's really going to happen. And mm. I think that's exciting because we are we are left on that anticipation and then the film ends and like oh that's really nice when you get to film when you get to end the film on that note mm. and it's it makes it, it it's as if the film the film the ending would follow you and like I really love those endings when it doesn't really have a closure it's you know there's a life Beyond that final shot, yeah, I I I really enjoyed the ending. I was laughing, but also knowing mm. that I'm probably sick because it's very dark stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I also adding on to that, I also love. I've I've said this before. I, I love his performance because it it really stuck with me the desperation of his character. Like that's that made it really funny for me, the fact that he went so far and it reached this point, and like you said, it's not what you expect, and you sort of want to know what happens after, but it's everything that happened was so dark that you sort of don't want to know. It's fine. I don't need to know. Yeah, and also as as he goes in more pain. It becomes more ridiculous, funnier, um, especially when he was interrogating the the leftist student. Yeah, and then at yeah, first, that's that's also another scene where he reached that that emotional place. Yeah, uh, yeah. where at first he was interrogating, but ultimately in the end, it's almost as if she was, he was like, kind of uh, turn the tables. Mm. It's it's a delight. It's it's uh it's it it's a it's a specific kind of sensibility sensibility that I don't think everyone would buy into. So I would understand the more up opposing opinions. But for what it's worth, I really enjoyed my time here. I think it's very sharp and owns how blunt it could get at times in uh, hitting its points. But it's really. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, uh, is there anything else you'd like to add to this film? Uh, well, wait, you said, uh, you mentioned the interrogation with the leftist guy. That character was also, um, there was a dimension where he was friends or sleeping with the murdered woman as well. Yeah. Right. So uh I noticed like in a way there was a kind of a juxtaposition of of the inspector and this leftist guy because the woman when she broke up with him she mentioned that uh she mentioned that the inspector was just like a childish person not compared to the the other guy that she was seeing. And that's that ties with the interrogation scene. It gave it fleshed out the interrogation scene, I think, to 
pit these two together and then how the tables turn. Yeah, that that was very interesting. It added to the it added depth to the film, I I think. And on how then the the student had the upper hand. Yeah. He was the one being interrogated, but how the tides have turned and really mm. um the one intimidating is now now the one intimidated and really he reaches this um point of uh internal crisis when he really just wants to um I- admit it but is not even afforded that yeah so in yeah. a way it it's yeah that that interrogation scene and the ending both points where the inspector is broken down because his belief in the system is completely broken down. It's it's great. Like th- those are probably some of my favorite scenes. And I think yeah. it's also about control for him because, like I said, you know, when he says the repression is our vaccine, um, he can say that. He can play the system. He can critique the system as long as he's in control. Mm. But when he's no longer in control, with that interrogation with the leftist student, he comes crushing down. Because he cannot handle when it's not him. It's an outside force pointing at the system. Pointing at him. And it's as if he became the embodiment of the system he's trying to take down. True. Yeah. And that also works with the woman because the moment she said that uh, she's not impressed by him anymore and he's just immature and overcompensating, his fragile ego also couldn't take it. So as the embodiment of the system, what does that say? Like the system can't take criticism. Which fits. It's an analogy that fits. Yeah, it it really fits because, you know, the the, the police force depicted in the film are really this uh, macho type people who have very fragile egos. Mm. And it's again, it's a very sharp critique on like how how these men in positions of power Kind of like brandishing their powers, like, oh, we're the powerful, we're men, we're real men, but then they cannot handle criticisms. Like, I think we know someone, but I'm not gonna mention it. <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Uh, other points with this film? Uh, what is this like the conclusion part? Uh, sure. Sure. Well, I would, I think, um, the film sort of existed to break the the thesis statement of no one is above the law. So, yeah, right. <laughs> no one is above the law. Um, so it, it worked so well on that, just by how bold how boldly it it broke down that statement. That that's the strength of the film. Yeah, this film is wild. Very wild. Wild. Quali schedati? Più di 70 gruppi di giovani sovversivi che agiscono al di fuori dai limiti parlamentari. 
un aumento del 50% delle bancherotte fraudolente dei protesti cambiari, un numero indescrivibile di riviste politiche che invitano alla rivolta. L'uso della libertà minaccia da tutte le parti i poteri tradizionali, le autorità costituite, l'uso della libertà che tende a fare di qualsiasi cittadino un giudice, che ci impedisce di espletare liberamente le nostre sacrosante funzioni. Noi siamo a guardia della legge che vogliamo immutabile, scolpita nel tempo. Il popolo è minorenne, la città è malata, ad altri spetta il compito di curare e di educare. A noi il dovere di reprimere la repressione è il nostro vaccino. All right, so let's talk about how investigation of a citizen above suspicion um, won the Oscar. You know, it premiered in Italy in February 12. It screened in the Cannes Film Festival in May 3, where it won Grand Prix. Um, in New York, December 20. And in Los Angeles, February of 1971. So this was Italy's fifth win and 12th nomination. It got a Golden Globe nomination and in Kansas it won something. And this film was also nominated for Best Original Screenplay the following year. 1971. Because like I said, um, it premiered in Los Angeles in 1971. Therefore, it's eligible for the Oscars of 1971, not 1970. Um, hmm, I, ay, ay, let's go to the other films that were nominated and then let's see how we feel about this group of films. Uh, all right, so the nominees were First Love from Switzerland, Hua Bin from France, Pazulechon for Belgium, and Tristana from Spain. Braun, which film would you like to discuss first? Hmm, let's start with um, Tristana, because that's right, the Tr one I saw latest. All right, wonderful. Yeah. So Tristana from Spain. It premiered in Out of Competition section in Cannes. It is directed by Louis Buñuel, and it is about a woman who became orphaned and was put under the wing of a guardian who starts to fall in love with her as well. Um, the woman is Tristana, <laughs> and then the guardian is Don Lope. But at the same time when Don Lope is kind of like grooming her to become his wife, Tristana starts to... Um, fall in love with another young art with a young artist and runs away with him but then she goes back it stars french actress catherine deneuve and italian anchor italian actor franco nero um what do you think of tristana i uh, it was okay for me um i didn't love it but uh, it was it was fine. I I like the story. 
and how how invested you could get in this Tristana girl as the main character yeah. and yeah it, it it's just a, a sort of like slow burn of how she's finally going to get back like wake up and get back at the old man who groomed her and knowing that this was a Bunuel film I was looking out for the surreal characteristics and it did pay off like a little bit but not as much as usual like it's for a Bunuel it's more grounded in reality-ish than usual yeah um hmm I you know I from this decade I have seen that obscure object of desire Two weeks ago, we've discussed the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie. Mm-hmm. I've also seen the exterminating angel. Um, so when I was coming with Tristana, I, I because I don't read up what the stories are gonna be about, so I was expecting something, you know, Bunuel. What do we expect mm-hmm. from him? Uh, and you know, there's Catherine Deneuve is um one of the most stunningly beautiful actresses ever. So, like, what's not to like? And, you know, for the actor that played uh, Don Lopez, Fernando Rey, he is, um, <laughs> he's starting to become, like, a mainstay in this podcast because I've been seeing his films a lot. Like, you know, uh, <laughs> sure, a familiar face. And then Franco Nero is, um, is cute. So, you know, <laughs> doesn't hurt. So, when I was watching, this, I was excited. Mm. And... I don't know. Something about it fell flat. I I don't think her journey was engaging. I mean, on paper, it's an engaging journey. You know, how she at 19 was treated as like a, a young orphan. And then that, the setup of that relationship between her and Don Lope is something of, you know, it's, it's a minefield of very interesting discussions because of like, how grooming and um, the age gap. And it's yeah. not even like, you know, one of those films that are insensitive about the age gap. It's really making... Uh, the age gap is a point. There's a point in the film. And it's... There's a lot of potential in this film to be highly exciting, interesting, engaging, intriguing. And... Not... It didn't do anything for me. I, I cannot say it's bad. I don't think it's bad. Mm-hmm. But it is highly detached. Mm-hmm. And like what you said, I just started to had a little bit more interest near the end. But maybe it's a little too late. And then uh, I, this film in... One hour, 40 minutes. Sometimes I appreciate slow burns because I know there's something in a... um, There's a payoff. I didn't feel it here. So I was uh, kind of questioning the film. I'm like, what was the point again? <laughs> that kind of feeling. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Which is why I said I didn't love it, but it was fine, I guess. That's that's my that's the summary of my opinion. I didn't love it, but it was fine. Which is, you know, from 
you listed the cast and you, knowing the director and on paper it sounds exciting so why didn't it deliver i also don't know i don't know why it didn't deliver it just it it didn't i don't know it didn't tap into the story of a woman like gaining a agency that well I don't know if it's a product of its time. Like in the in 1970, is it not that it's more difficult to tell this kind of story? But no, it's it should it should have worked. I I would say I I don't know how it got how it didn't. I can't explain. Yeah, it's almost as if the film wasn't interested in its story. Mm. Which. It's puzzling because Bunuel is an inherently interesting filmmaker. Yeah. And to make something which... There comes a point when I was just watching it because I have to watch it for the podcast. <laughs> I wasn't like, you know, watching it like, mm, there may be something interesting here. For me, it's like, oh, you know, it's the... Um, one of the last films for the season. Let's just watch this. <laughs> so you know, the, there's a detachment that I felt like, oh, and it, I, I felt bad. And you know, it wasn't even the 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 dubbing because Catherine Deneuve was French and Franco Nero who's Italian. They were dubbed in Spanish, so it wasn't even really that because I think the dubbing was fine. You know, yeah. but it's there's something missing, and I think that something is a big thing. So that's why it wasn't clicking with me. It wasn't um, <clears throat> on a more like human level, like emotions. I didn't care. Mm. And that's not the most eloquent way to say why I didn't care. I just didn't because <laughs> it, I think I would count this as probably the most disappointing of the other nominees because there's so much potential in here. Mm. Yeah, this is definitely one of the low lower ones for me. Let's see if we can go up. Yeah, what's let's the go next up. one you want to discuss? <laughs> um. Well, okay, let's just go backwards because that was the latest one I watched. Before that, I watched Hua Bin. Yeah, Hua Bin from France, where it won best first work in. Han. Uh, it is directed by Raoul Cotard and it is about a young boy whose mother uh, it, these are um, they are a family in Vietnam basically they're in, mm. in Andochine at the time no it's already Vietnam War I think so it was a Vietnam War uh, there's a young Vietnamese boy of course in the Vietnam there's a Vietnamese boy um, and then he um tries to survive after his mother passed away his father is in the war and he's left to fend for his younger brother um by being passed around and trying to just survive you know and how he in let's just go what do you think of Hua Bin or 
By the way, uh, it's alternative title. I think it's more more known now as the Bamboo Incident. I don't know what happened, but it's Hua Bin. <laughs> it was submitted as Hua Bin. Yeah. Um, what do you think of Hua Bin? Uh, this one, I, I didn't know what to make of it at first. But then when it got around to the part where it followed the boy and the different ways he would, you know, keep him and his sister afloat, uh, that was that. It got a bit interesting for me there when he was in the city and uh, shoe shining, selling newspapers, all that stuff. It had it gained this kind of character that I don't know, like a lovable character that I wanted to follow. And I don't know. This is another one that I should have loved, but I don't love it. But I can't say it's a bad film. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm on board. Um I should have loved this. Mm. Um, let me just say it's more interesting than Tristana. But it is, yeah. That doesn't say a lot. Um <laughs> <laughs> bad. So mean this year, so mean. Um all right, so Hua Bin. I would admit that it being story about people who look like me it's a big <laughs> plus already i'm sorry that's mm -hmm. super it may be superficial but it's immediately a way in for me mm -hmm. because we're both in southeast asia we've experienced american intervention we've both had these insurgencies and all the political unrest and kind of still happening now of the varying levels so this is my way in. Like, all right, this is my people. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes. I felt it. Um, I think what if if my word for Tristana is uh, dis disappointed or not interesting enough or or uninteresting or detached, Hua Bin for me is. interesting enough it's not you know for a story that could have been heart-wrenching there's a certain i don't know there's a certain uh it's sometimes fun you know because he, he, he the boy's misadventures are not always heavily melodramatic it's sometimes framed as like this kind of subtly com comedic uh, uh, attack to it um there is this um it's not always self-serious which really helps um and i don't think with the film uh his name is hong um with the film trying to um play out you know play around with the tone it doesn't make the film dishonest because i think you know the, the perspective is related with the boy so you know What is what would a young boy, with a boy with a young boy, eleven year old with a young a young brother? Is it a brother or a sister? I think it's a sister. A sister, sorry, young yeah. younger <laughs> sibling, sorry. Yeah. Um, the grasp of what the weight of the war. Mm. Um, I don't think there's that. So, it's it's fascinating to see how the film sticks with it. 
you know, there isn't really until the near the end where it kind of shifts perspective, which was a bit confusing at first. Uh, I thought he grew up. What? I thought it's the father. Yeah, it's the father. It's a it's a little bit of a confusing transition for me. Mm. Uh, but other than that, it's a. I think it's interesting enough. I don't think it's anything remarkable in the, in the plethora of films about the Vietnam War. Uh, what is there to say about a film made by a French director set in Vietnam about the Vietnam War? I, I'm not so sure as well. Yeah. But I can't even comment on that because I don't think the film is that meaty enough because it's really just focused on the struggles and experience of this young boy and his younger sibling. So, I don't know. It's, I think it's enough. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's remarkable. But... I'm not bothered by its presence. Yeah. yeah well, in its I think, lineup or in my life. <laughs> yeah. I think it was intentional though, this, this, the tone of the film to be like that, knowing that, I don't know if they did it knowingly that since they're French filmmakers making a film about, you know, Vietnam, but it had a very French new wave feel to it. Mm-hmm. Like the way it was shot especially following the boy, how it kept that tone light is because they shot it that way. So that worked to its advantage. And yeah, that's that's why I say it, it's a decent film. It's not, yeah. the world isn't worse that it exists. It's fine. It, yeah. Yeah, and when you, like I said, I'm working backwards, so I haven't really been with a French New Wave yet. Um, <laughs> With, I think that maybe that could be something that sets the film apart from the other um, war, uh, Vietnam War films is that, mm. um, like I said, it doesn't take itself seriously. Um, there's a certain, it's not formalistic playfulness. It's just like there's a lightness in the tone that um, doesn't feel insincere at least. It feels in coherence with, what the, with, with the perspective of the main character. So... That I didn't mind. Um, I don't know. It's fine. Hmm. Yeah, better than Tristana. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I should change their ranking, uh, their ratings, and <laughs> that letterbox. <laughs> Tristana should go down. Anyway, um, so that's Hua Bin. Mm-hmm. Which film would you like to discuss next? Uh, let's go for Peace in the Fields. Alright, so Peace in the Fields, or apparently it was submitted in its original title, the Oscar, so Pas Le Champ uh, from Belgium. Belgium. So, um, this film was directed by Jacques Bougelo, and I, um, this is about the lives of, um, of rural village people in around 1925. So there is um, a blossoming relationship um, between... Um, I'm just going to read the IMDb. Because, uh, <laughs> so, Peace in the Fields takes place around 1925. Stan, a wealthy Flemish farmer, is alleged to have murdered his fiance 20 years ago. Although the case against him was dismissed, Fierce resentment still burns between his family and that of Johanna, the victim's mother. 
And then the farmer's son falls in love with the girl's younger sister. Oh, that's what I was trying to get to. So their marriage was forbidden. Um, so, you know, family conflict because of what happened in the past. Um, wh- how do you feel about Paso de Chão? Mm, I like what it was trying to go for with, you know, um, the rural countryside having strong superstitions. You know, these people, their lives shaped by religion and superstition. But it, the pacing, <laughs> the pacing was my main issue. Like it start, it, it's very slow and boring at first, and then it gets to the part with the love story and how the the father being accused of murder got in the way, and how it was all resolved. It suddenly, the pacing suddenly got very quick. So yeah, the pacing was a big issue for me. It affected the story a lot and worked to its detriment. So it's one of the worst, for me, one of the worst films in this, in this set. Wow. Um, <laughs> I cannot complain. I, can, I cannot uh, mm-hmm. contradict. I mean, maybe I, maybe I am kinder with this one. Mm-hmm. Um Peace over the fields. What appealed to me is that I mean appeal as if I I liked it. I I don't love it. Um, what appealed to me is that it doesn't pretend to be anything else. Mm-hmm. It's a simple story, simply told. It's unpretentious. Um, the way we get to know about the murder is really incremental until it's not incremental anymore. Um, it's it, it's a film that requires low emotional investment, I think. And the thing is, even some of the dramatic the dramatic scenes aren't really um amped up for dramatic effects. So I don't think the dramatic. I mean, story wise, the tension is there. The conflict of the families is there, but I don't feel the tension trickle down to scene levels. Um, whenever they do, it feels like it dissipates in between scenes. So there mm-hmm. isn't really this... Um, because, you know, I think that near the end is almost set up as almost like an explosion, a confrontation of sorts. It didn't feel that it was building up because there is this really like um, going up, going down, going up, going down energy to it. I didn't feel the build up. Because most of the film felt slice of life-ish. So I think the thrust of the narrative kind of contradicts on how it explored the story. Because the premise is setting up for a confrontation. So it requires build-up. But the build-up is composed almost of if not scenes that focus more on ambiance or environment or just observation, it didn't feel like they were building up. So it's a film that just came and go. I don't think it's bad, but it didn't really have much of an impact for me as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like what you said uh, with the tension dissipating in between scenes and how 
you know, the slice of lifeness of showing the environment. Yeah, it, it really, I didn't know if I should be emotionally invested because it's a story that sounds emotionally investing. It should be, but I wasn't. Because the way they, it was told, the pacing, like I said, it just didn't work. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's almost as if the, the form and the 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 material wasn't really meshing. Mm. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, this film, for what it's worth, um, is willing to stay. Like I said, you know the 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 more slice of life scenes, they work. But not to support the overarching mm. narrative, so they don't come together. And when, yeah, but you know, I think it gets that rural lifestyle energy that it works. But when you have an emotionally charged, like you said, like setup where the whole film is hinged then it doesn't work. Mm. So I'm not sure if I would have preferred that they would have just stuck with, I don't know, if they would have gone full-blown um, slice of life or it confused me. But the film is not a confusing experience. I think it's more, it's more confusing when we discuss it now because when you watch, it's like, okay, hmm, pop mm. in, pop out. But yeah. It doesn't really live, leave an, much of an impact. True, exactly. All right, so one last film, first love from Switzerland. Are you okay? Yeah, first okay. love from Switzerland. It is direct. It is the directorial debut of Oscar-winning actor Maximilian Schell, and. It is about um, a young boy, not not young boy, teens, um, mm-hmm. living with his father and mother, who you know, and they're living in a countryside, and they witness that um, a princess moves in at the at their neighbors, so. He falls in love with the girl. And then the girl falls in love with the father's boy. With the boy's father. Boy's father. <laughs> with the father's boy. With the boy's <laughs> father. Uh, it is based on the novella by Ivan Turgayev. What do you think of First Love? Now this one I liked a bit better. For a rural countryside setting film. I think the the vibe of the place played into the story better than the other one that we just talked about. Um, because it's a coming-of-age film, so follows the boy and, you know, he finds his first love and things don't work out. And at first, uh, I like the kind of whimsical, uh, free-spiritedness of the the first part of the film and how it it gets 
stripped away gradually as the first love and yeah unfolds. So I appreciated it more. Um, yeah, I appreciated it more. Not as, I guess, at the same-ish level as Wabin. So I don't know if it's my preference for stories that feature younger characters because there's just something about, you know, following a child, following a child growing up. I am, you know, I have a preference for that genre. So I appreciated it. Uh, I'm happy that you did. Um, <laughs> you didn't. Not, I didn't. Uh, first love. First of all, I wish we saw a, a better version. Um, mm. I found one version on YouTube. But it got taken down as soon as I was going to start preparing for the season. Mm. When I was first searching it, I found it on YouTube. It was a fine, finer version. I'm like, wow, you know, this is good. I can just send Bron the link on YouTube. And mm. it got taken down. And then, you know, we, we got to contend with... I don't know if it was a... I don't know what kind of copy it is. But anyway, um, first love... I feel as um first of all I don't think the narrative was really it was I think it was trying to really capture a mood it's more moody than hinging on narrative per se which I get I get um it's trying to rely on music and images to convey the emotional state of the main character which again I get. I am, as of the time of recording, I am trying to work on again on my feature length script, which I've been working <laughs> for like three years. And I get it, you know, because I'm also writing something that's not really narrative, uh, hinging on narrative, but it's more on mood and, mm. and images. So, like, listen, I feel Max. <laughs> I feel Maximum and Shell, you know, it, this is also his feature film debut. Watch out, watch out for mine anyway. So yes. I, I <laughs> claiming it. So that aspect, I'm already intrigued. Okay, you know, it's not as is. I have to look closer. But then I'm trying to see the... I was trying to wait for it to become an exploration of the main character because it's all really in his perspective, the, the teenager. And it didn't really become an exploration. It becomes, you know, we're observing him, but he's also observing something else. So, I'm, I think I was just not on board with the, with the, with the with the way Maximilian Shell approached the material. It's beautiful, but I was struggling to find the surf, uh, the you know, the substance, the meat underneath the beauty of the film. Um. It's, I think it's, uh, I don't know, shallow is the word that I would probably use. Um, listen, I, I don't mind films that don't give away easy, easy answers to questions or with characters with like mysterious or like indecipherable signs in life. I get it. 
I'm also indecipherable <laughs> as a person. Um, no, no, no. I'm just saying that I, you know, I don't mind it because I am excited in the chase that I get to experience. Like, oh, this person is not who I think that person is. So, in when I'm watching a film, like I'm really excited. Oh, I want to unpack the character, but the film just I don't know what it was trying to do or focusing on. Because it's um you know it's about infatuation, which again I get. Mm-hmm. I I know I'm anyway. So there's that, but I don't know. I think in stories of younger people falling in love, there's got to be this core mm-hmm. that I should see, and all I'm seeing. Are great shots, beautiful shots. Mm. Yeah, I can see what you mean. Like, well, for me, you know, it worked because of how those beautiful shots use the setting, uh, built this mood. But then, I don't know, it could have something to do with this being an adaptation of novel. So, you know, with adapting something. I'm pretty sure the novel could have explained like motivations and other things better, but that didn't translate to the screen, obviously. So if it was able to translate that, maybe it would have been a better film overall. Yeah, but you know that's the thing. You know, if if we have to go back to the novel to understand. Mm, there's then an issue there's an issue with adaptation yeah because I don't I, I, I'm I'm I just have to go back this is a coming of age story and um, I don't know I even when I was young I'm sick of young people so like I don't know I care but <laughs> you know I think that first lo- it's first love you know there's gotta be some beating heart into it you know, I mean, I still remember my first love. Like, I was crazy then. So, like, that emotional... In, of course, it's not high stakes. It, it's, it's freaking first love. But that emotional intensity, mm-hmm. I think the film mutes that to favor calm but showy aesthetics. I think the film has a lot of embellishments that don't help in trying to get to the core of the story, which is, this is about a boy falling in love for the first time. And that excitement and that nervousness of like, oh, where am, when am I going to see her again? I'm like, how am I going to see her again? Or like, what should I do to fall in love with her? Oh, she's in love with my father. Oh my gosh. Those layers are, I, I felt, unexplored or just, the film just prioritizes imagery and montage <laughs> you know it, I, I, I think I th- feel it's a missed opportunity to go mm. deeper yeah and that's why I didn't love it either could have, it could have done better definitely like I was on board already from the first part and 
you know, it, it reached the later parts and then the conclusion and didn't, like you said, it didn't get there. Yeah. I was even more interested before the princess came in. <laughs> so like, oh no. <laughs> but then after, so like there's a problem with that. Um, so that's first love. Um, bro, what with that ex- excluding the winner first? What's your take on this group? How do you feel about this group of nominees? Honestly, I think they're all very close to each other. <laughs> <laughs> like it's all it's splitting hairs just ranking them because they're in my level of enjoyment and you know how I appreciated them. It's it's, it's a close competition. <laughs> Yeah, well, and and you know, you said not yet talking about the winner, but I I can't help it. The winner is by far above these. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, I mean the tone of our conversation a while ago, like, oh, it's aggressive. And no, it's like, <laughs> well, you know, the shots are there. <laughs> My God, I didn't love it, but you know. <laughs> Like, it's interesting enough to watch it. And, like, I'm disappointed. But a while ago, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's so aggressive. And, like, the, the shots are there. Mm. Oh, my God, the murder. Like, you know, the, the difference is stark. And, like... Definitely. Uh, anyway, uh, with this group, um, I could say... This is the weakest bunch that I've dealt with so far in this podcast. Really? <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I mean, lucky that, you know, there is a one standout, which is the winner. I mean, usually save everything for the... I, I try to be, like, cryptic and secretive until the final moments of the podcast to say my ranking low. Oh, my number one. But, like, it's obvious in our tone of discussion. Like, we, we know our number one is. But it's just the <laughs> overall quality of this lineup mm. is really lackluster Mm. not all of them are bad actually I don't think any of them are bad bad but a lot of my frustrations especially with two or three is because I I think there are better films in them Mm. or like the execution could have been better bettered I don't know um you know, I, 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 I'm when I'm trying to look back, like which which film years kind of like made me frustrated. Like, which years made me question why am I doing this podcast? Uh, I think of um. I think of you know, I I have one year in mind which I won't say, mm-hmm. but I think that year was very flat, but flat in just good. Mm. Because this one, they are close to each other. I mean, that year that I'm thinking, which I would say in a future episode, you know, I don't know when. Um, <laughs> that all of the five are kind of close to each other. Even the winner are kind of close to each other. Uh. But they are from okay to good. This one, there is this one standout. And then for... Oh, the rest you know, are just... Okay. <laughs> sure. Fine. Let's move on. Like that kind of feeling. Mm. So, you know, I'm I, honestly, I feel kind of 
sad that this is going to be like the season finale, but you know, it is what it is. You know, we deal with a group of films and we just watch them for what they are. And yeah. we promise listeners, we are, you know, I think we're, we're both coming from film school that we kind of get more appreciative because we kind of know how it works at the behind the scenes. And yet, yeah. you know, that, ugh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, all right. So this year we've also had other films nominated elsewhere. Um, we have Fellini Satiricon from Italy. It was nominated for Best Directing. My Night at Mods from France, nominated for Original Screenplay. Both were submitted for Foreign Language Film in 1969. Fellini Satiricon didn't get nominated. My Night at Mod get nom- got nominated, didn't win. So these two films here, I'm going to discuss them in 69. Not mm-hmm. today. And also, I haven't seen them yet, so. <laughs> also, Chariots of the Gods from West Germany it was nominated for Documentary Feature. So, we have one other film that we've seen together. Uh, we've seen together. We've both seen. Um, it's from Italy and Soviet Union. It was nominated for Original Score. It's Sunflower, directed by Vittorio De Sica. And stars legends mm-hmm. Sophia Loren and Marcello Mastroianni. So it is about a housewife played by Sophia Loren, and her name is Giovanna, who whose husband got drafted to the war. So when his husband when her husband wasn't able to come home because she has a husband got drafted to Soviet Union Giovanna then goes to Soviet Union to look for her husband so you've seen this before i this is my first time uh what do you think of sunflower uh well Disclaimer, I've seen this before years ago, not... How long? Recent. Uh, how long was it? I don't know, four years ago? Three years ago? So my memory is not as good. But I think I liked it, but not not loved it. Uh, like you said, the, the score, which was also applauded, and the, the stars... They were such a highlight of the film. They added to it for me. And um, as for this story, it was okay. It's not my kind of story, like this love story. It had like a kind of, uh, it's a bit cheesy, but it, it was well executed. So yeah, it was okay. It was fine by me. Yeah, Um. First of all, this film embraces the melodrama of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so I'm an easy person to please. You give me Sophia Loren, let's do this. Mm. You know, she is becoming easily one of my favorite actresses. She has a strong screen presence 
And it's not even because she... Okay, so Sophia Loren is one of the most beautiful person that ever lived in this earth. <laughs> I agree. Got it. But <laughs> Sophia Loren also has this talent of not necessarily deglamorizing, but embracing the beauty as part of her character. So then the beauty becomes not distracting. Because she is a phenomenal actress. And Sunflower is now added to my list of like the Sophia Loren films that I've seen. Like, oh my gosh, I really love her. Because this film is really hinged on her. Um, even more than Marcello Mastroianni. Uh, this film is an abashedly a melodrama. So it really has to... You know, when you have a melodrama, you really have to go all in. You can't go f- half-hearted or else it's, you know, yeah. it, you really have to invest in it. Um, and she does because especially in the part when he goes missing. Such a journey for her. And Sophia Loren mm-hmm. is wonderful in this film. And I would say I prefer the first half rather than the second half. But the second half is more mature on how it handles the relationships because the first half is her doing all the efforts to find her husband the second half is something else um second half is more um downbeat more um serious i mean it's serious all the time but it's it's less playful it's more Mm. reflective it's darker um but it's 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 beautiful work from her nonetheless, and uh, the music is great. It's Henry Mancini, so mm-hmm. like, duh. Uh, so I, you know what? I think if Investigation of a Citizen of Suspicion wasn't here, they might have gone with this direction because you get your two big Italian stars with probably one of the best Italian directors of all time mm. that did well, and then there you have it, uh, Sunflower. I know you've seen like the non-restored version. I have seen the restored version. Yeah. I would really suggest that you watch it because the call, the cinematography is. Be- I've also seen the non-restored version. Like, mm. all right, I'm doing this for Sophia Loren. But when I saw the restored version, like, oh my gosh, the colors just pop. Mm. It's beautiful. Okay. It's really beautiful. So yeah, I, I definitely missed out on that. <laughs> Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yes, you did. But, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful work. Yeah. Well, I did appreciate Sophia Loren. Like, she's definitely a highlight. Like, really a highlight of this film. Yeah. And, you know, she she carries those big... Because it's even in the more... Even in the melodramatic aspect of the film, she has to sell, like, the emotional mm-hmm. rawness of, like, is she does she really believe that her husband is still alive or she is just convincing herself mm, that he's still yeah. alive and how do you situate yourself in a place that you're you're not sure if you're already a widow <laughs> or not <laughs> how because you know she she fought to to find her husband until when will you fight and when is it time to give up I was feeling these textures in her performance. And it's it's really beautiful work. And um, 
I know I have I've only seen one you know, 1970 is known as like one of the weakest years for Best Actress at the Oscars. I've only seen one. Mm-hmm. Sure, I don't mind that. Um, the one that I've seen. So I would really have liked to see how far did she go? Because, you know, she's Sophia Loren. This film got nominated for original score for some reason. So I really <laughs> hope she got close to a Best Actress nomination because she's really good and she yeah. only has two Oscar nominations. Uh, anyway, so that's Sunflower. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this year... Okay, so this at the... Let's compare because uh, at the recently concluded 93rd Academy Awards... Mm-hmm. We have had like an all-time record of submissions for international feature film. Before it was foreign language film. Uh, at the 2020 Academy Awards, 93rd Academy Awards, we had a record-breaking number of 97 countries submitting. Oh, awesome. Compare it to, to, to 1970 where... 13 films submitted. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, there are more countries then, but now, you know, even then. Um, so this year, some of the films that were like, I don't know, I would have really, I would be curious to see. Uh, the Night of Counting the Years from Egypt. Um, it's about an upper Egyptian clan who robs a cache of mummies and sell the artifacts on the black market. And then OK from West Germany. It premiered in Berlin. It's about a four-man... I'm going to save it for last. Um, Love Film from Hungary. It's about... um, Yanchi. Reminiscing about his childhood friend in World War II Budapest. And separated by the revolution. The Scandalous Adventures of Burai Khan from Japan. An outlaw pushes the residents of... Edo's red light district to rebel against a growing number of stifling moralistic laws. Salt of the Black Earth from Poland is about seven brothers taking part in the struggle during the 1920 Silesian uprising. A Swedish love story from Sweden, duh. It premiered in Berlin. It's the feature film debut of Roy Anderson. It's about two teenagers to fall in love over the summer. All right, so. A while ago, I was already mentioning a film from West Germany, but I stopped because there's a story there. Um, it's okay from West Germany. It's about a four-man U.S. fire team on patrol who seizes a dying young Vietnamese girl and continued to torture, rape, and kill her. Um, oh. w- yeah, so the Vietnamese girl was dying, and instead of helping her, they continued to rape her um, and torture her. Um, one soldier refuses to take part and reported the incident. So I put it last because there's an anecdote here. I'm just going to read Wikipedia. Uh, During the 1970 Berlin Film Festival, the head of the festival, George Stevens, who's American, decided on a vote, 7-2, to remove the film from the Berlin International Film Festival. Because 
he said that uh, because there's a guideline that all film festivals should contribute to better understanding between nations. Um, they thought that the film was anti-American. So one jury member protested that. Um, and what happened is that the other directors from the festival withdrew their films to support the film that was being removed from competition. So then the jury was accused of censorship mm. and then no prize were awarded at the time. The competition was suspended. So that's the story of that film festival. Mm. Um, mm. Oh, during the screening, the film was interrupted. So here's the thing. I haven't seen the film. I want to see it now. Now that I've said it, um, this was during the Vietnam War, and at the time the Vietnam War was still happening, and the Nixon the the, the opinion towards Nixon hasn't really shifted yet. So a lot of people are Americans at least are still pro Vietnam War. I am just stunned by how fragile the egos of these of of this American is George Stevens. I mean, I'm just stunned because like the hypocrisy yeah. is shining. Yeah. Oh gosh. But anyway. <laughs> um <laughs> I don't know how to rebound to that. I'm just gonna, I want to I wanna watch this because... Gosh. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I didn't know that either. <laughs> yeah, and that history of the British Film Festival, them pulling out a film. Like, mm. okay. Wow. Yeah. So, this year, there are at least... Uh, you know, my research is not good. So, I only saw, like, two films that were, like, not submitted for the foreign language film. But I think, in hindsight, are, like, you know... Kind of like remarkable. One is Landscape After the Battle from Poland. It premiered in Cannes. It's directed by Andrzej Wajda. Uh, I'm just going to read it. Liberated from a Nazi concentration camp, a young poet and other survivors find themselves forced into a detention center run by the Allies. There, the poet meets a Jewish girl who asks him to escape with her to the West. Um, it's Andrzej Wajda, one of the greats of Polish cinema. It stars Daniel Obrycki, one of my crushes from the 70s. <laughs> so, I should have watched it. And then The Red Circle from France, directed by Jean-Pierre Melville. It's um, after leaving prison, master thief Corey crosses paths with a notorious escapee and an alcoholic former policeman. So the three plot an elaborate heist. So this stars Alain Delon, one of the... If Sophia Lord is one of the most beautiful women... On Earth, Alain Delon is probably one of the most beautiful men, but okay. I heard he's a racist and a sexist. So like, nope, I need my men with values. So anyway, mm. but you know, this is the landscape of after the battle and the red circle. All right, so <laughs> this is such a an anticlimactic part because you know we've been talking about how we feel about this race. But do you think investigation of a citizen above suspicion is a worthy winner of this category? Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely yeah 
I think <laughs> after what we've said a while ago, it's clear. It's our pick. It's our number one. It stands tall in this group. I don't. Que- I can't question it. I feel that probably looking at the films that were submitted, okay, might be a challenger to this film. That's why yeah. I'm really curious to see okay because it's. I'm just interested in what it was it was trying to tell with this story because also at the time of the Vietnam War, of course, United States are banned from filming in Vietnam. Mm. Not West Germany. <laughs> so I don't know what they're going to do with this story. So anyway, since in this part of the podcast, we usually rank the nominees. Um, we usually do it five to one, but it's really obvious or one <laughs> it's investigation yeah. of a citizen of suspicion so let's go from five to two five to two okay what's your five <laughs> mm, five i think it's uh this is difficult they're all so close <laughs> for me it would be um peace in the fields my five is First love. What's your four? My four would be Tristana. My four would be Tristana. What's your three? Three is first love. Three for me. Uh, what's your three and two? So first love and uh first love is three, so two would be Wabin. Wabin. Yeah. Um, my three would be peace in the fields, and my number two would be Huabin. Mm. Um, but there's a long gap between Huabin. Yeah, there's a <laughs> gap. There's a big gap there. Huabin investigation of citizen above suspicion. Um, I am currently opening my spreadsheet just to confirm that it was really my ranking. <laughs> Because I'm not sure between three and four. <laughs> oh, I'm right. Yeah, that's my five. Mm. Okay, that's my so that's my five. Uh, then that's your five, Bron. Thank you so much for joining me in this okay season finale. Oh my gosh, yes. season five finale. Two seasons to go. <laughs> oh my gosh, I am. I'm really wow. I'm really yeah. Oh my gosh! And we're still. I started this like um. I recorded the first episode March of 2020 because I wasn't sure like how long the pandemic would last. Mm-hmm. And we're still in it. Oh my gosh! Um, again, you can vote in the polls. Which do you think would uh end first, the podcast or the pandemic? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Um, but again, Bron- th- yeah, thank you so much for joining me. Um, we haven't really talked for years, I think. Or I yeah. don't know. And this is a fr- and we've suddenly talked for hours about multiple films. So a lot of them we didn't love. <laughs> so <laughs> it was. Uh, I'm so happy that you were game and you were. Um, of course, you also have your job and everything. But I'm so happy to, that you joined me here again. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. And can you tell again your listeners where can they find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Bron Salamanca and on Letterboxd, uh, Ace Bron. Yeah. There you go. So again, thank you for joining me. 
Thank you for having uh, me. Yes. Uh, I hope you'll be back in a future episode. Oh my gosh, how many would that be? Why not? Season? <laughs> yeah. But it's I'm fun. Excited. This is yeah. fun. I would be happy to come back if you want. Yes. And I'm and I'm really I'm already saying this to the listeners. I am excited to to where I would take this podcast after season seven. Mm, um, like this weekend, I was I was listing some stuff and like, hmm, I'm probably gonna take it there. But you know, let's let's see. For I think I don't know. Let let I'm just gonna take it one season at a time. Mm-hmm. And like, let's. I'm just. I'm currently prepping for season six now, you guys. And as I'm speaking right now, I'm I am so busy, so stressed because um, I'm prepping for season six. I'm prepping for the Emmys, so I'm gonna start watching television tomorrow, and then I'm gonna be prepping for another podcast. So, um, mm. so um. Don't talk to me until October. <laughs> I'm so full. No, no, no. But I'm excited to talk with you all, listeners and you guys, for um, with this podcast. So again, you can find me on Twitter at Carlos Ohana. This podcast at One Inch Barrier. This podcast is everywhere, and I'm really surprised that sometimes it's on platforms that I don't even know where it is. But just like, oh, it's there. Oh my gosh, um, this podcast is everywhere again. And again, Patreon. The first ten bonus episodes are already streaming in full on Patreon. We've already done retrospectives in 2019 and 18, as well as um, uh, a review of The Way He Looks in mm. December of 2020, because I thought I was going to end the year on a high note. Like, let's be happy. I am excited because I'm also going to say, um, the during the break between season five and season six, there is going to be a bonus episode there as well. And I'm going to be recording that in two weeks, I think. So I'm excited to continue talking about more world cinema. Let's get used to reading more subtitles because once you start to overcome that one install barrier of subtitles, you're going to open yourself up to a world of wonderful cinema. I'm paraphrasing Bong Joon-ho, I know. But again, I'm wishing you all... Oh my gosh! Season 5! Alright, so... Uh, I'm wishing you all well. I hope to hear from you all next season. 1960s. Um, 19, we're going to start 1969. Uh, it's a big one. It's Z from Algeria. Uh, so I'm looking forward to, again, I'm just looking forward to everything, you know, because I, as, you know, I'm, I'm going to be personal right now. Oh. Um, I think, you know, it's been a privilege to after, you know, we're currently still in the middle of a pandemic and life is not, it, life's tough right now. And the fact that I still get the chance to talk from um, friends of past and present and even future just to talk about these films while we're still trying to figure out what's our next step. This is... um. I know I'm lucky that I'm given this opportunity because who talks about these films? At, you know, when the world is seemingly falling apart. But again, this is the joys of connecting with people from all over the world. So again, I'm wishing you all well. This is a goodbye for now. See you next season. And together, let's break the one-inch barrier. Mm-hmm.